the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called We Believe, focusing on the Gospel of John. All through this Gospel, John is driving us toward belief and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We hope and pray that as a result of this series, you will see new faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. Turn with me to John chapter 15, starting at verse 18. We're going to read through John 16, verse 4, through verse 4a. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that's written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they've not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. One of the most perplexing things for Christians everywhere, I think at almost any time, is how are Christians supposed to deal with the world? How are Christians supposed to engage with the world? How are we supposed to understand the world? How are we supposed to deal with the world? This is something that is confusing to us because there are things that are many different things that would seem to be opposed that are true at the same time. The first one is that the world is good. The world as it's created by God is good, actually very good. It's created by God. It demonstrates his glory. 
the people who were created by God, every single one of them demonstrate the goodness and the glory of God. And yet, all of the world is stained by sin. A sin that when it came into the world was like a a tea bag that was placed in hot water. Everything started to be impacted by it. It didn't just stay in the one place where it came into the world. It spread all throughout the whole thing. And so the whole world became stained with it. And so you and I feel the effects of sin ourselves. It means that we don't understand things rightly always. It means that we sometimes operate in worldly sort of ways. It's why we approach God in confession and prayer, asking for healing and restoration. Because you and I were impacted by sin, we needed to experience God's gracious redemption, bringing you and me into a new location, no longer in the world stained by sin, as people stained by sin, but brought into the church, purified by Christ Jesus. But for all those who've not been redeemed, the great goodness that they have in bearing the image of God is controlled by their deadness and sin and rebellion to God. D.A. Carson says, the world is a society of rebels and therefore finds it hard to tolerate those who are in joyful allegiance to the king to whom all loyalty is due. And for everyone here who is a Christian, you're a former rebel. Former rebels who have been, by the grace of the king, won back to loving allegiance with the rightful king. And therefore, we're not likely going to prove popular in a world that persists in rebellion. Therefore, there's this inherent conflict between the redeemed and the world, the world that is characterized by fallen, sinful flesh. And Jesus lays this out for his disciples so that they are not surprised by it when it comes and so that they know how to respond to it when it shows up. And John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, records this for his initial audience so that they're not surprised by it when they experience it, and so that they know how to respond to it. And because the Bible is living and active, we, by God's grace, receive it this morning so that we are not surprised by it, hatred or persecution of the world, and we know how to respond to it. And the message that John gives to his original audience and to us is this. When the world hates you, and it will hate you, rely on the Holy Spirit and tell the truth. When the world hates you, and it will hate you, rely on the Holy Spirit and tell the truth. We're going to be talking about that in two parts this morning. The first is hatred, and the second is help. These are the two points of the sermon this morning, hatred and help. The hatred of the world, the help of God. Let's start with this first one. This is the hatred of the world. Jesus contrasts the way of the believer with the way of the world. Just before this, in John chapter 15, as Jesus is concluding his section about being grafted to the vine, he talks about how we are joined to Christ Jesus so that we might love one another. The way of the believer is love, verse 17. But the way of the world is hatred. This is because the native language of the Lord God is love. Whenever God speaks, he speaks with love. It's his native language. And so for those that are joined to Christ Jesus, their native language becomes love too. It's the way of a follower of Jesus to speak with love. But the native language of the devil is hatred. And therefore the language that's spoken by the unredeemed when speaking of the formerly unredeemed is often hatred. 
But this shouldn't be surprising, Jesus says, because the world hated Jesus before it hated any one of Jesus' followers. And then he gives what would be an encouraging word to his disciples and an encouraging word to those who first received this gospel of John and an encouraging word to us. The hatred that one might experience from the world is actually an indication that the one who's being hated belongs to Jesus. Verse 19 says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And then he calls back what he had just given to them a little bit before as he had washed their feet. He told them that no servant is greater than his master. So if Christ Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, they should wash each other's feet. They should operate with that same type of self-giving love. And he calls back that attention and says, all right, no servant is greater than his master. So if I was hated, you'll be hated too. If I, the master, was hated, you, the disciples, will be hated as well. And this gets to and confronts some of the expectations that we might have in this life. All of us who have lived in the United States of America for any extended length of time will have been discipled by the general spirit of this place in which we live. And so we'll expect that we should be guaranteed life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And it could just be me, but it feels like that third one, that pursuit of happiness one sort of eats up the first two. And that that is the great expectation of Americans. To be an American means pursuing comfort and enjoyment. And so if you have lived in that environment for very long, I have, And so this is some of the way that I naturally discipled. You'll think that the point of Jesus is to give you a comfortable life where you're not much disturbed and you have a fair bit of enjoyment. You'll expect just his nice words and not his challenging ones. You'll anticipate that it means life in Christ is characterized by, you know, life, which means just genuinely living and not like holiness and and life everlasting. You'll imagine that, that the liberty that you receive means the kind of liberty to do whatever you want instead of liberty from sin and death and the devil. You'll imagine that Christ Jesus came to give you the possibility of happiness rather than a cross. But Jesus here says, hey, listen, you're not the master, you're the servant's. So don't expect any better treatment for the servants than they gave the master. Don't expect better treatment from the world than the world gave me. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, more from Pastor Derek in our series called We Believe, focusing on the Gospel of John. We pray that as a result of this series, you will see new faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody wants to, to sort of like walk into hatred or persecution or opposition. This is tough for us, especially as those who have lived over the last, you know, 
hundred years or so with unparalleled wealth and access and opportunity, all while dwelling within a land with Judeo-Christian values and therefore a vaguely Christian ethos, it leaves us sometimes expecting other than what Jesus says to us in this passage of scripture. But how did the world treat Jesus? Well, it mostly rejected him and then it put him to death and then it tried to suppress the knowledge of his resurrection in his name. That's the treatment the master got. So what should you and I expect? Well, nothing better and probably worse. But again, Jesus repeats the good news in all of this. He tells us that all of these things will be done to you on account of the name of Jesus, on account of the name of Jesus. That when you experience hatred or opposition or persecution, that it's being done to you in the name of Jesus and you actually are identified with Jesus, with his name. You're identified with his sufferings and his death and his resurrection. That, that any time where you experience that dissonance that comes when the world expects one thing of you and the Lord God expects another thing of you and you side with the Lord Jesus and experience opposition because of it, you actually are joined to Jesus in his suffering and you know him better because of it. You experience more deeply union with Christ Jesus because you're being opposed for the name of Jesus. And then Jesus starts saying some things that are a little confusing to us. He talks about how if he hadn't shown up that the world wouldn't be guilty of sin. And what he's talking about is how a rejection of God in the flesh, a rejection of Christ Jesus and his death and resurrection has a unique guilt connected with it. And how could you say that there's an excuse for sin now that God has shown up and has talked to you about sin and has given you the way out. In that sort of context where God himself has come and spoken to you, there's, just, there's no excuse for continuing in sin. God himself showed up and called you to something better, called you to life and light and holiness. And if you persist in it, well, there's just a, a unique guilt associated with all of it. Now, As Jesus has talked about the hatred of the world, the opposition of the world, the persecution that the world can visit or bring, he makes it clear that none of this undermines at all the message that the Lord Jesus Christ has has come to give. None of this undermines the plan of redemption of God because he says this, but the word that is written in their law must be filled, they hated me without a cause. So Jesus says, all right, so all of this is prophesied. And this is a quotation of Psalm 69 where where David talks about being hated without cause and it's this argument from lesser to greater that if they were going to hate David without cause, how much more would they hate the Messiah without cause? And so all of this was prophesied about how the world would treat the Messiah and so none of this opposition or persecution or hatred, none of it, none of it upends the plan of redemption of the Lord God. Here we've heard about the hatred of the world and the expectation that those who belong to Jesus can have to experience with it and the expectation that you and I can have that we will experience it. And I want to just talk about having experienced the opposition of the world, some ways that we are, I think, maybe tempted or can move in the direction of trying to address it in these sorts of ways. And, And then I want to talk about the way that Jesus offers here in the passage. So I think that there are three main ways that knowing about the opposition of the world, we can respond to that. The first one is what I'll call the circle the wagons response. Some people know that there is opposition that comes from the world, and so therefore, we try to withdraw from the world. 
And I want to be clear, there are aspects that are good, I think, in each one of these and aspects that are bad in each one of these. I want to, so I, I, want, I, just, I want to be nuanced. All right, so just, if you feel like I'm not nuanced, let's talk about this afterwards. I'm just going to talk about these sort of in broader categories. We could talk about it afterwards, okay? The first approach is the circle the wagons approach where we try to make sure that we avoid any non-Christian engagement. No non-Christian friends, no non-Christian activities, I was at the beautiful home of a couple when I was in seminary, and I remarked at how beautiful the home was, and the, the wife of the family said, thank you so much. We made sure that no non-reformed people were allowed to build this house. So that's why it's so beautiful and so good. And I remember thinking, you know, it's okay if you have a Methodist, you know, build your house. It's okay. Now, you know, here in this area, there's so many good builders at Orland Park CRC. You're going to want to go all Christian reform builders for sure. But, you know, in general, if you're outside of Orland Park, it's okay if you were to have a non-reform person help build your house or even somebody that was not a Christian. But the level of trying to move back from the world was so great. They didn't want any non-Christians touching any of the uh, parts of their house as it was being built. They didn't want any, even any non-reform folks touching any of the wood as the home was being constructed. And that sort of attitude of withdrawal to try to protect ourselves by not engaging with the world is what I'll call the circle the wagons approach. And it's not what Jesus is advocating for here. He's not saying that the world is going to hate you, so, so try as much as possible to shield yourself by not engaging with the life of the world. We know that because in chapter 17, verse 15, he says... As he's praying to the Father, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. It's so important for us not to join the world in sinful or evil behavior, in patterns of thought or life, but to completely withdraw from the world in an effort to avoid the hatred or persecution of the world is not what Christ Jesus had in mind. Other people don't want to circle the wagon. Sometimes there's a control approach. Some people try to exercise the levers of power to force unbelievers to act in the way that Christians act. Now, again, let me be clear. There's some good in all of this. Now, now we should want laws that are in agreement with righteousness and that pursue the common good and that reflect God's law. But there can be a reactive politics that operates not for the good of the world, but so that you or I can feel comfortable because a segment of the population is, through the coercive reality of the state, forced to act like you or I do. And if that's our approach, to try to control the levers of power for our own comfort, it's not the approach of the self-giving love that Christ calls us to earlier in John 15. It rather acts more like the world in its desire for power or control. Another way that people sometimes operate with the hatred or the opposition of the world is compromise or change. They can compromise on the truth of God's word and change so that they come into agreement with the world rather than God. Now understand what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we should you know, avoid contextualizing. We need to speak in the language of the culture where we live. When I get up and preach, I don't preach in Koine Greek, which is the language that Jesus would have spoken, because none of you would understand me. And so it would not be a faithful way to sort of preach in this context. It's not that we need to reject air conditioning because Jesus had no air conditioning, and that would be a change. Thanks be to God, we're able to have that, or else I would have a hard time as the pastor here. I'd have to move further north or way further south to where it was cold all the time. 
This isn't, uh, this isn't, you know, uh, uh, it's not telling us that we have to avoid contextualizing the message. What, what we do need to avoid, however, is the sort of theological compromise that would put us in line with the world rather than God. Sometimes people recognize that to avoid the hatred of the world, all they have to do is to refuse to say that Jesus is Lord or to say that everything is equal in God's eyes, that you could be saved in a whole host of different kinds of ways. Sometimes it's to step back from declaring certain things sin. Sometimes it's to avoid talking about judgment or hell. Sometimes it's to refrain from talking about the the extraordinary love of the Lord Jesus, but whatever it might be that we would step back from owning so that we would come into agreement with the world, this is not what Jesus is offering us because it would mean we're starting to be like the world rather than Jesus. And so in all of this, the question comes to us, well, then how should we act? If Jesus says, all right, in this world, you'll experience hatred, opposition, and persecution. If the way that we will sometimes deal with it is to withdraw or control or compromise or change, and none of those are what Jesus is giving to us, what does Jesus give to us instead in this world where we'll experience Opposition, hatred, persecution. Well, it's better than any one of those three. It's spirit-empowered witness. Spirit-empowered witness. And this takes us to the second part, which is help. So we've talked about the hatred of the world. Here's the help. So Jesus says, you'll experience all of this hatred, all of this opposition, all of this persecution. Here is how you stand up against it. I'll give you a helper. I'll give you a helper. If the words of Jesus have been discouraging so far, talking about hatred or opposition, he gives us a word that is far more glorious than we could imagine. He says that God will come to indwell us because it is so hard to bear up under the hatred of the world. Jesus is going to send us a helper. He'll send us the helper. And you notice in your your Bible, The word helper is actually capitalized in verse 26. But when the helper comes, Jesus is not just saying he will send us some sort of ambiguous help. Jesus is not saying that he'll give us a a sense of peace in the midst of opposition or hatred. Jesus is not sending us something that is sort of like just up in the air. Jesus is going to send The Holy Spirit is what he's saying. Jesus is sending the Spirit of God. Verse 26, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. It is so hard to bear up under the opposition of the world. And so Jesus says that he'll send God. The Holy Spirit of God who comes from him, proceeding from the Father. And he will be with us and he will dwell in us. And there are two things for us to note about this. The first is, do we realize what a huge deal that is? That when Jesus sends us help, he sends us God. That God is near us, that God is in us. This is so much better and more glorious than we could possibly imagine. And it is why John, the writer of this gospel message, is able to write to Christians who are experiencing persecution and opposition. And in 1 John 4, verse 4, say, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you 
is greater than he who is in the world. The way to stand up to the hatred or persecution or opposition to the world is to, is to have God. That's the only way that it can happen. The world is way stronger than you or me, but it is way, way weaker than God. And God is in you. This is an incredible hope. That's why you can bear up under opposition or persecution because God is in you. You have God with you always. In you always. And therefore, what can the world do to you? What can anyone or anything do to you? Because God wins. God always wins. And he is within you. Here's the second part. You're called to be a witness. A spirit-empowered witness. So Jesus says that the helper will come and bear witness about him. And then verse 27. And you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. And so here is the response. It's not withdrawal. It's not control. It's not compromise and change. It's spirit-empowered witness. It's being present and witnessing to the truth. Now, when Jesus, in the very beginning of Acts, appears to his disciples, he tells them, you will be my witnesses. He's repeating the same language that he uses right here. And this is such helpful language for all of us. Because if you're in a court of law, and when you take the stands, if you are a good witness, you're not called to invent anything. You're just supposed to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And this is the regular way that we are described in the New Testament as witnesses. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.